The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Amen. Thank you, Ron, (laughs) for sharing the scripture with us this morning. I just um, want to uh, highlight just one brief thing. This weekend has been, uh, our church is part of the North American Baptist Conference, and uh, this past weekend has been our triennial. Every three years we gather together, and uh, it's been uh, virtual this year because of the COVID, but um, this has been the theme, which you see on the screen, Reimagine Hospitality. <clears throat> and um, if you want to find out more about our, our, uh, our triennial and the theme and the speakers and so on and the business that was accomplished as well, you're certainly welcome to go onto the North American Baptist Conference webpage or come to our webpage and you'll get directed there as well through a link. <clears throat> Let me just pray for us as we begin. Father, this morning as we open up your Bible and and, uh, look at a blessing that uh, was given to Aaron and the priesthood in the Old Testament, it has such relevance for us today too. For you are, as we just sung, the God who never changes. And uh, the things that you've taught are always right and true and applicable and uh, applicable. We pray that you would guide us now as we look into your word and uh, deepen us not only in our experience of prayer, but mostly in our encounter with you as we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you grew up and you, you had prayers that you memorized when you were a child and the, you carried them with you throughout your whole life. Um, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'd like to do a little bit of an experiment with you and there's a few in the room here but you can do this at home as well. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the first part or line of a prayer and then I'm going to see if some of you know the second line or the following lines, Okay. So let's see how this goes. Now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) Okay. The people in this room seem to know it. Uh, By the way, that goes, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I remember several times scratching my head thinking, that's not the best thought to put in a kid's mind before they go to bed, dying before they wake. Not sure how that happened, but that's what it was. Here's another one. For what we are about to receive. Well, that's not as common. May the Lord make us truly thankful. I've heard that prayer at different homes that I've visited. How about this one? God is great. God is good. <laughs> Let us thank him for our food. By his hand we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. That's one that I heard several times, too. And then there's the, 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 some of them that are like this. Thank you for the world so sweet. 
Tweedly Deet, I think. Thank you for the food we eat. Yum, yum. Thank you for the birds that sing. Iling-a-ling. Thank you, God, for everything. Or there's the, the one that we learned at camp, Johnny Appleseed. Uh, oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need and so on. Or the Superman prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving us, you know. I'm not a fan of those last few, but, you know, the little ones come along and you start to teach them to pray. Some of you will know the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and then courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Well, when it comes to prayer, we have many places that we can go to to not only understand more about prayer, but to deepen our experience of God as we pray. We can turn, of course, to the Scriptures, the Bible. And that's what we're doing this summer. We're studying ten different people from the Bible and their prayer life or something that they teach us about prayer. Last week, we looked at Moses. Today, we look at his brother Aaron, who was the head of the Levitical tribe, the priesthood of the Old Testament. Jesus often himself turned to the scriptures in his prayer. Psalm 22, 1. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture as he prays to his Father. He taught us to pray. He taught the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and so on. The Apostle Paul has several prayers in his letters, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, um, as well as he, he's the one that taught us in Romans 8 just a few weeks ago when we were studying. He taught us that the Holy Spirit who dwells in the Christian intercedes for us. He helps us in our praying. And Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, is also interceding for us as we struggle and wrestle through this thing called prayer, talking God to God. Many examples in the Bible of prayer, Nehemiah's prayer, Daniel's prayer, David's prayers. There's so many great ways that we can just read them and pray them up to God, praying Scripture like we do when we have the Wednesday come to the quiet. And then, of course, there's the book of Revelation, this incredible, the door is open to heaven, says in chapter 4, and, and, we, and we look in and we gaze through the doors of heaven and we see people worshiping and praying. Chapter 4, verse 8, the four living creatures day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's the one who was and is and is to come. Chapter 4, verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then beyond the Scriptures, there's many books that have been written about prayer to help us to know how to pray. To pray. There's, for example, the Anglican Prayer Book. Now, some of you may not like reading prayers and trying to own them as your own, but there's incredibly great crafted, theologically sound, biblically accurate praying that goes on in the Anglican prayer book. Let me read to you one excerpt. Lighten our darkness. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from the perils and dangers of the night for the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. These are good prayers to pray. The Eastern Orthodox Church has what they call a Jesus prayer. The first time I encountered this was when I was 
a young pastor, and I knew a man who ran every day. And in his running, he was exhaling and inhaling, of course. And when he exhaled, he prayed the Jesus prayer that he learned from the church. And it was this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as he ran, he ran, 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 ran. He, just, he would just pray this. And he would pray it into him and he would pray it up to God. And then there's the prayers uh, in Scripture that don't seem like prayers, but they're used as prayers today. One of the most common ones is used by, uh, in Judaism today, three times a day, the Shema, or the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is used. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Three times a day they pray that prayer. And then there's one similar in the New Testament Paul, the apostle writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, says this, For us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom all things exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Many people think that that, that verse was used by the early church as a prayer up to God, that they would pray corporately. Well, this morning, we're going to be learning some lessons on prayer from Aaron, the brother of Moses, the one who was the priest and the head of the Levite tribe. And um, indeed, as we look at this prayer, it doesn't seem like a prayer, but more as a blessing. And what our homework is today is we're going to take that blessing and see how we turn it into our prayers and apply it to our praying. That's our homework for the day. That's what we're going to, that's the intent that we have Think about where Israel was at. They're in, a, in a, a place of having come out of Egypt, having been in the wilderness for a while. They've already received the law from God, but now in Numbers chapter 6, they are receiving instructions on how the tabernacle, the physical structure where God's presence would dwell among them, how that is to be set up and taken down every time that they would move and go on in the wilderness to the next place on the way to the promised land. And so it's in the middle of this instruction and this disorientation time for Israel that God is teaching them that the, the Le Levitical tribe, the, the, Le the priests, should teach them how to bless the people of God so that they can be a blessing. And so today we're going to look at how we pray as well with the blessing in fact, have you ever noticed, this might be the scripture where it comes from, that the word prayer and blessing are used interchangeably? Have you ever been asked at a dinner table, hey, would you mind sharing the blessing or saying the blessing? Well, it probably comes from this passage in Numbers chapter 6. Let me share with you a few uh, Hebrew and Greek words, just so you know that there are two words in both Old and New Testament that kind of have this concept of blessing. The word barak is, is the word praise, to congratulate, Genesis 1, 22. First time it's used in the Bible, God blesses every living creature and says, be fruitful and multiply. He says the same thing to Adam and Eve later on in verse 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them, it says. He blessed Adam and Eve. Chapter 12, when God was, was met Abraham and he said, I will bless you. 
Barak, I will bless you, and through you, all families on the earth will be blessed. That's the concept that we saw in the children's minute that Jackson and Julia shared. You'll be blessed so that you can overflow and be a blessing. You'll be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. To him who has been given much, much will be required. You see, this is the whole shape of Scripture. The shape of Scripture is that you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. And another word that is found in the Old Testament in Hebrew is esher, which is the word happy, really. It's used in Job 5, for example. Blessed or happy is the man that God corrects and do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, it says. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man, happy is the man. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. See, this is the blessed life. This is the life that God shines his face upon, what it looks like. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words as well for the word bless or blessing. One is makarios. It's the one used in Matthew 5 when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, it's the happy it's the blessed. It's not just happiness that's based on the happenings of your life, though. This is the blessed life, the life that comes down from God's face shining upon you and you responding to God, the fulfilled, being fully human as God created humans in his image to be life. That's the kind of thing that this word conveys. And then the word eulogy, we get our word eulogy from this Greek word and it means to speak well of someone. I bless you in the name of the Lord. I speak well of you. And so if you put all this together, blessing in the scriptures is this idea of goodwill and happiness spoken to someone or over someone or in prayer for someone, as well as, as the conditions that fulfill that, that blessed life. And uh, so we're going to look at Numbers chapter 6, Verses 24 to 26, and there's really only two concepts that I want you to know. It's the word to bless and to keep, which are found in verse 24. Um, I want you to notice that if you have your Bibles open in Numbers chapter 6, you'll, you'll clearly see that there are three lines, and that each line begins with the name of God. And it's not just any name, it's Yahweh, it's the Lord God. And so it's the Lord bless you. And then there are two verbs, two action words, for God to do in each of the three lines. So now we've got six, right? Three lines, two action words, God doing the action in each line. And so it says, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the blessing that Aaron and the priests were to pronounce over the people of Israel. 
Some commentaries see this this way, the first verb being the activity of God and then the second verb being the result of it. God's face is going to shine upon you and what's going to be the result? Grace is going to flow into your life. God's face or countenance is going to to be toward you and what's going to be the result? Shalom, peace will flow into your life. I like what one author Math, uh, David Mathis suggests, and, and this is the way I'm going to unpack the scripture for us this morning. He suggests that the first big idea, the heart of God, the big idea of the blessing is the two words to bless and to keep that are found in verse 24. And then in verse 25, bless is unpacked, and in verse 26, keep is unpacked, Okay. So we're going to look at this scripture in that way. So how does God bless you? Look at verse 25. How does God keep you? Look at verse 26. That's what we're going to do uh, this morning. And remember, at the end of this, our, our, our goal is to apply this to how we pray. So let's move on then and take a look at the first one, blessing. So verse 25, how does God bless? Well, it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. God's face shining upon us means that God is facing us. God is seeking us. God is looking for us. God is wanting to get closer to us. God wants fellowship with us. Why does he want fellowship? Why does he want to get closer? Because he wants to be gracious to you. That's the message of this blessing. A shining face on God means a smiling face on God. You want the Almighty to smile upon you. And this is the way to imagine it. Think about a parent or a grandparent with a little toddler. I mean, there's something about little toddlers Little babies and little ones, that there's just something that just bring a smile. There's something that you just want to pour out love on. This is the picture of God. God just smiling upon you. Willingness, his heart is willing to give or do something that will, will bless that child, help that child. That's the picture of God. We are not presented here with a, a begrudging God. This is not a God that's begrudging. This is not a God that's stingy. This is not a God that's reluctant. This is not a God with folded arms saying, well, if I have to. This is a God that's on tiptoe toward you, facing you, smiling upon you. His face is shining at you. And for everyone who has believed in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the posture of the Father. We know this because Jesus reinforced it as well in the New Testament. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of Matthew? Jesus is teaching on prayer. And I love it when he says this. He says, you know, how, how many of you earthly fathers, how many of you earthly fathers, if your son asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for fish, are you going to give him a serpent? And then Jesus makes the logical conclusion. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give?
good gifts. You see, there's the how much more principle. It appears a few, maybe a dozen times, I think, in Scripture. When the how much more principle is applied, it means that the writer of Scripture is taking something very much on the human level that is true, and it's saying, well, if that's true, how much more is it true if God is your Father? How much more should we expect from God? And so... This is the stance of God. Our Father in heaven loves to pour out blessing. And uh, one of the chapters, by the way, that Israel had to remind them of what the blessing of God looked like is Leviticus chapter 26. We don't have time to open our Bibles and look at it. But Leviticus chapter 26 is two halves of that chapter. The one half, the beginning half of the chapter, talks about what God's blessing looks like. He's going to give you rainy times when your crops need it. He's going to give you the sunshine for your crops. He's going to keep your enemies at bay. He's going to keep you from pestilence and harm. That's the blessing of God. He, he talks about God, God's blessing in physical and in spiritual terms. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the chapter, it turns. And it says that if you choose to not follow God... If you choose to disobey the Lord God and turn your back on him, he's going to send you other things. And the reason he's going to send you other things is to get you back to the blessing, you see. Because, see, God still is on tiptoe toward you, looking at you, wanting to bless you, but he's not going to give you blessing, blessing, blessing if you're just saying, yeah, I can do this all on my own. I don't need you, God. So God brings a discipline. God brings something. To say, wake up, Israel. Wake up, Christian. We all need that. We don't even know that we need it sometimes. But we all need it in different ways. God is always a blessing and blessed God. And so this this first half of this blessing, chapter 6 of Numbers, verses 24 and 25 that we've looked at so far, Really, really causes us, should challenge us to think of our, our image of God. What kind of God do you pray to? And secondly, it talks about how we pray about the people that are in our lives to be a blessing to them. Let's move on to the next part, and that is keeping. The Lord bless you and keep you. Verse 26 unpacks what God's keeping looks like. Now, God's keeping is found in many scriptures. I'm sure that some of you know uh, Psalm 121 and the last half of the psalm. It says, the Lord is your keeper. I love that word. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you. Keeps on coming back. The Lord will keep your life. He will keep you, your going and your coming from this time forth and forevermore. There's a, this, this idea of God keeping his children is, is just part of the way God is, just like a, a good and normal father and mother are like that. And so God's keeping has to do with guarding and protecting and sustaining and nurturing. And the interesting thing about verse 25 and 26 is something that I just uh, kind of discovered this past week, is that the same Hebrew word for face is used in both of them. So when it says that God makes his face to shine upon us, verse 25, 
It's the same word for countenance in verse 26. So why is the word countenance used instead of face? Some translations do use the word face. Well, the difference between the two is in the words that surround the word face. So God makes his face to shine upon us so he can be gracious, and he makes, he lifts up his face upon us or toward us so that he can give us his peace. So making his face to shine or lifting up his face toward us. That's the two different ways the word is used. So, so therefore, for God to lift up his countenance toward us or upon us means that instead of his face being down, his face is lifted up toward you. That's the difference in the way the word is used. What's the difference? Well, you can see the expression on the face of someone who's coming toward you whose face is lifted up and looking at you. But if I walk toward you like this, you don't see my face. God is not looking away from you. God is not looking down as he approaches you. God is looking at you. His countenance is upon you, and you can see what the expression on his face. That's what he wants. He wants you to see the kind of God he is. He wants you to see the expression on his face. When you come to God in prayer, he wants you to see the kind of God you're coming to, your Father. I think one of the best pictures of this is to borrow from the New Testament in Luke 15, the prodigal son story that Jesus tells. You remember the story of the prodigal son, I want you to just reimagine it with me for a moment. Imagine that the son has come to his senses and he's turning around and he's going back to his father and he's returning, but in the distance, as he's coming near to the farm, he sees a man running toward him, but he doesn't know who it is yet. And he certainly can't see the face. As he gets closer to the farm, he sees that it's his father running toward him. But he still doesn't know what kind of father is going to receive him. Is is he a father that's going to say, you know, you screwed up? Is the expression on the father's face anger? Is he he looking down in shame? Is he looking away in in denial and, and, and abandonment? But as he gets closer, he sees that the face of his father... And the face of his father is beaming with joy because he's lifted up his countenance toward him. And the father receives the son into his arms. The the son is enveloped in his arms. Notice the last word of that blessing in verse 26. Is he lifts up his countenance so that he can show his peace. His, his shalom. Does not, shalom means more than the absence of war. This kind of peace means fullness, true restoration, true relationship. The blessing that embraces and keeps me close to the Father. And so in the prodigal son example, we don't see the Father castigating. We don't see the Father saying, well, you're sleeping in the barn tonight son. We don't see the father saying, 
go and, go and serve with the slaves that I have because you're not my son. He doesn't see that. We don't see the son even being told he has to pay back all that he's squandered. Not told that he has to earn his keep. The point is, the relationship is being restored. His face is toward him. And so then the passage ends in verse 27, which is not part formally of the blessing, but this is what Aaron and Moses were instructed to do, and this is why they were told to do it. He says in verse 27, So shall they, the priests, put my name, God's name, upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's interesting. If the priesthood will will come to Israel regularly and say, the Lord bless you and keep you and to make his face to shine upon you and be gracious, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, if they will do that regularly in blessing God's people, God's name will be among them and put on them. And through that, God will bless his people. And this is where we take the transition into our prayer lives and start to apply what we've been learning in Numbers chapter 6. The act of blessing in the Bible is all throughout Scripture, how we speak to one another, how we pray for one another. Psalm 129 verse 8 says, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. It was a practice in Israel to do so. And now in applying this to our own prayer lives, when we think about praying over our children, praying over marriages, praying over relationships and friendships, praying over the elderly, praying over the sick, wanting to bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus, what does it look like? Well, we're praying for two things. We're praying for God to bless them and keep them. Something immediate that is in the now and something in the future to keep them. Something present and something future, we're praying. And we're praying it because we want to put God's name upon them. We want God's presence upon them. We come to see that though we're the ones that are on the front lines in those relationships with parents, with children, with friends, with colleagues at work, with students, though we're on the front lines, we recognize our inability To bless, the real blessing comes from God. And so we call down God's power and presence in our praying. We recognize it's not in our power to change those people, to change their circumstances. It's not in our power to answer our own prayers. We are not the difference makers like God's the difference maker. It's only the Lord that can bless his people. Now, Ron read another passage this morning to us, and it's found in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And you know, it's the last thing Jesus does before he was ascended into heaven, where he right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. I want to know what the last thing Jesus did on earth was. I want to know what was the last thing Jesus did. You know what he did? He lifted up his hands to that little small company of followers that he had just outside of Jerusalem. And he lifted up his hands 
and he blessed them, it says. That's what Jesus did. And it says in the scriptures that the result of him lifting up his hands and blessing them was that they worshiped him and they went home full of joy. They went home with great joy. And then every day thereafter, they kept on blessing God right back. So we learn from Aaron in the scriptures, in this one little blessing, these three verses, we learn from Aaron how our praying can actually be transformed into a way that God wants to bless. We heard Diane sing, or playing on the piano a couple of hymns before the service. One of them was channels only, blessed master, and with all thy wondrous grace, flowing through us, thou canst use us. You know, this is the idea that, that in our praying, and in our living, of course, but in our praying, we become the channel through which we become the priesthood, through which now the people of God, God's name and God's presence is going to be put upon them. And we do it in two ways. We do it by saying, the Lord bless you and be gracious. The Lord bless you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. And then secondly, and the Lord lift up his face so you can see his face. You can see his expression. And in other words, it's not just that God's looking at you, but secondly, that you're looking at God. You can see the expression on God's face. You know this God. You can pray this prayer for unsaved people, people that are not Christians yet. You can pray, oh God, that friend that does not know Jesus, I pray you bless them and keep them. What do I mean by that? I pray that your face will shine on them and you'll be gracious to them so that they will, they will see the, the countenance, the expression on your face. They'll turn to you. They'll see who you are, what you're like. You're a God of mercy, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in mercy. And they'll turn and they'll have peace. They'll be, they'll be given shalom, rightness with God, peace. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to just pray for us as we get ready to conclude. Father, every one of us in listening now, probably every one of us have had times when we have had relationships that have been estranged and damaged and hurt and we didn't feel in those relationships any fullness, any blessing, any happiness, any peace, any grace. And then sometimes God, because of, because of forgiveness, because of humility and good fruit in a relationship, the relationship was restored. And we felt the blessedness of that. We felt the relief of that. And Lord, we pray today as we come to you, the most important relationship we'll ever have in all of eternity, that we will understand the kind of father that you are, the kind of posture that you have that we'll understand the expression on your face toward us. 
Because when we, when we came to Jesus Christ, when he took our sin upon the cross and when we were forgiven and when we were meet, being, being called children of God because of his spirit, when we, were, when we stepped over that threshold into your household, God, everything changed. Perfect love has cast out fear. So help us, Lord, and all those who are listening to see the face of God and to respond with your peace. In your name we pray, amen. We had the blessing for many years of having Pastor Alf Bell among us as part of our church family. I used to tell him that he had the gift of blessing, the gift of benediction. (laughs) If you've been part of our church for a while, you'll remember the the services when, at this point in the service, at the end, someone would have to hang on to him as he ushered to the front and had a way of blessing the people of God. And uh, I want to learn that. But uh, this morning, as we conclude our service, I want to bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance so that you see the expression on his face. And may he give you his peace, his shalom, that you might experience it in all of life for the glory of God and the good of you. Through Christ we pray, amen. God bless you all. Go in his peace.